the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It is the Nick D Podcast right here on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. How you doing? I'm your host, Nick DeGilio, episode 79 of the Nick D Podcast. Uh, hello. Hey, if you want to be a part of the Nick D Podcast, we would love you to be a part of it. Uh, if you want to advertise, uh, be a sponsor. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. You got a business or something you want to sponsor uh, us, you want to advertise with us, we'd love to hear from you. Do it. Contact us, sales at RadioMisfits.com. And uh, it is episode 79, and um, we will be talking with Eric Childress and Steve Procopi. They are my two buddies who are uh, members of the Chicago Film Critic Association. They write, they talk about movies, they got podcasts, they write stuff, they do stuff. All about movies. They've been friends of mine and, and critics for many years. Every other uh, Friday on the podcast, we talk about new movies. Lots of new movies to talk about. We'll also be talking about some of the great stuff that you can see at the Chicago International Film Festival, uh, which began a couple of nights ago and continues through... Um, October 23rd, uh, you can go to the River East Theater downtown, the Music Box on Southport, the Siskel Center, the Chicago History Museum. Check out cinemachicago.com for all the information. 90 features, 60 shorts, films from around the world, uh, stuff like White Noise and Glass Onion, uh, The Lost King, Empire of Light, The Banshees of Inisharan. Um, uh, the Whale, all kinds of incredible stuff uh, will be happening throughout the month of October all the way through the 23rd at the 15th Annual Chicago International Film Festival. We'll talk about some of those movies and some of the other uh, major stuff that's been out. Esmeralda Leon is going to join us. We're going to continue our spooktacular. Yes, it is, it is scary spooktacular time. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, stuff that's scary but maybe not horror-related. Scary stuff that's not under the guise of horror. Plus, we'll uh, finish up our pumpkin spice uh, stories and uh, have more horror and uh, Halloween-related scary stuff to talk about as well. That's all coming up on the podcast. Uh, And also, Esmeralda and I will be hosting a live version of this very podcast at the Zanies in Rosemont. You have to come out. Please come out. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be so much fun. We are at Zanies in Rosemont on Tuesday, November 15th. It's the Nick D Podcast Live. Me, Esmeralda, on stage. You in the audience. You'll be a part of the uh, show. We are recording the podcast live, and it will be out on the network and all over the internet uh, at every platform available, and you will be on it. So be a part of the recording. Be a part of it. We're going to have surprise guests. we got really cool prizes to give away, interactive stuff. My dad is going to close the show on stage at Zanies on a, in a comedy club telling a joke. we got surprise guests, all kinds of really fun stuff. It's going to be hilarious and fun, and you're going to laugh your ass off and have a great time. And uh, we want to pack the place. So the tickets are on sale right now. Um, and uh, you can go to uh, the box office. You can call the box office now. Say, I want my seats right now for the Nick D Podcast Live, Tuesday, November 15th, Zanies and Rosemont. 847-813-0484, 847-813-0484. The website is rosemont.zanies.com. Uh, and officially, let's, uh, let's, let's uh, play this for you. Hey, everybody going to tell you what's going on November 
that's a Tuesday up at Rosemont talking about Zaneness. We gonna put on a live show, so I suggest you do some clicking. Get on the website and buy some tickets. I heard his dad's gonna close the show. Yeah. You can be there, don't you know? Get some tickets, baby. Get some sexy-ass tickets right now. <laughs> it's going to be great. Tuesday, November 15th, Zanies and Rosemont, us live. 847-813-0484 is your box office. The website is rosemont.zanies.com. Everybody who hears my voice, I expect you to be taking a seat in that, uh, in that club that night. It's going to be great. Uh, also, I want to thank Radio Misfits. You can check out uh, all of the incredible podcasts at radiomisfits.com. Uh, rate and review us on every platform. Uh, take the time to give us feedback here on the Nick D podcast. This uh, voicemail is open all the time for questions, comments. If you want to contribute to the show in any way, if you want to get a megaphone message designed exclusively for you, leave us a voicemail message at 773-417-6948. Call us now. We want to hear from you. And drop us an email anytime at nickdpodcast@gmail.com. All right. Well, let's get started. Uh, you know who uh, you know uh, who wants you to get uh, tickets for the live show. Hi, though? I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. That's right, she does. Do you, Carrie, do you love my live show that's happening on November fifteenth at Zanies and Rosemont? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, yeah. and I love Nick's show. All right, I expect you to be there. Thank you, Carrie. All right, uh, Eric, Steve, movies. That's what's coming up first. Congratulations. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jagoff. So that wonderful generic, I believe that's from the CBS Movie of the Week from the 70s, that theme is. Um, that's the theme that uh, we use to talk to, about movies. Eric Childress and Steve Procopi are uh, members of the film critic, uh, Chicago Film Critics Association and been my friends for many years, and we review movies together every other Friday on the podcast. Lots to talk about, including a film festival that's happening right here in Chicago, uh, the biggest Chicago uh, film festival. The 58th uh, Chicago International Film Festival is happening through the 23rd of October, and we'll talk a little bit about that, some of the movies we've seen in uh, conjunction with that. But let's say hello first to uh, Eric Childress. Hello, Eric. Hello, everyone. Hello. And Steve Procopi. Hello, Steve. Hello there. All right. Eric, tell everybody where they can see you and hear you and uh, all that other stuff, podcast, writing about, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see me, I am on uh, television every week on a show called Business First AM on WICC Television. I'm on every Thursday morning at 5 a.m. talking about the box office. Uh, if you want to hear me, uh, not just on the Nick D podcast, but also the Movie Madness podcast that's available at the Now Playing Network. Uh, Steve Procopi is a regular uh, guest. Uh, we talk about movies, obviously. Uh, and also uh, The Friendship Dilemma, the other podcast I do, also the same network uh, that I do with Morgan Geyer, and we'll be doing another episode uh, very shortly. Okay. 
Uh, and Steve Procopi, where can people see and hear your stuff? Uh, along with the Movie Madness podcast with Eric every week, uh, you can also read my reviews at thirdcoastreview.com. Uh, I actually just published uh, an interview with uh, Mimi Pluchet, who's the sort of head of the whole film festival that we're going to talk about in a second, and uh, just posted that very recently. And she, we go into a lot of detail about like recommendations and just what it takes to put on like a festival of this size. Uh, and then I'm also at the Music Box a lot, which is where the Chicago Film Festival will be for quite a bit this year. So. Yeah, you guys are hosting several screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, at uh, at the Music Box and the other places where you can see uh, the films are you can go to the River East Theater down on Illinois um, downtown um, and the Siskel Center is hosting some screenings and the Chicago mm-hmm. History Museum is also hosting some screenings um, it, it opened on the 12th and it continues through the 23rd over 90 features, 60 shorts, films from around the world um, uh, closing night film is White Noise which is Noah Baumbach's adaptation of Don DeLillo's book um, they're going to be screening Glass Onion, which is the sequel to Knives Out. Uh, My Policeman with Harry Styles, The Lost King with Steve Coogan, Empire of Light, ugh, with uh, they're directed by <laughs> Sam Mendes. Um, um, and uh, one of the other bigger screenings that they're doing is The Whale um, with Brendan Fraser. Uh, Darren Aronofsky uh, directed that one, um, in addition to all of those things. Um, are there things, first of all, Eric, um, that, uh, that you're excited about that's, that are playing the uh, festival? Um, there, I mean, there are a few titles that, I mean, there's uh, one that I think just played that uh, called Sick. That's a, a slasher film uh, written by Kevin Williamson, making a little bit of a return to the horror genre. Um, I've heard really great things about that ever since Toronto. Um, a couple films, I, I mean, just to put on people's radar. I mean, obviously, there bi- there's big stuff like The Whale, uh, which I really like, and Glass Onion, which is great. Women Talking, obviously. Uh, there's a film uh, also playing called Rounding that is a new film from uh, Alex Thompson, who's a local guy here in Chicago who did the movie uh, St. Francis that opened right. our film festival a few years ago. Right. Uh, and I, I think it's a really uh, kind of interesting horror-ish type film about um, a uh, young uh, doctor or uh, an orderly uh, that, uh, or he's a young doctor, he's sort of in the scrubs sort of department, uh, who just gets attached to this one case that might be sort of a Munchausen syndrome type uh, situation. And it's, yeah. I, I hadn't really seen a film about like this sort of like a scrubs television show, but in a horrific way, just the, the manner of stress that gets put on people like this. And I, right. I f- found a really interesting movie called rounding. Well, that's playing tomorrow. Um, the 15th, right before the whale. So it's, uh, mm, okay. it's 5.15 at River East, uh, rounding, and then at 7.30 is uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale. I recommend uh, both of those then. Okay. That, very cool. All right. Um, Steve, anything popping out for you that uh, that uh, we've uh, seen? Yeah. Well, other than the about? two that we're going to talk about today, um, the one I'm most looking forward to is Sarah Polly's Women Talking, um, which she's going to be here for. They're going to give her a tribute, I think, along with her cinematographer, Um I know people that have read the book that say it's phenomenal and from what, including people like Eric have said it's phenomenal. So mm. I am very much looking forward to seeing that very soon. Or actually it's next weekend, I think. So okay. um, next, I'm, next Thursday. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, there's a bunch of stuff that I'm looking forward to that I'm going to be seeing and some stuff that we've already seen. They've been screening a lot of the, a lot of the films for us ahead of time. Uh, but one of the ones that I'm looking forward to is, uh, is called senior, 
um, and mm. it's SR period, the, the shortened version of senior. And it's a documentary about Robert Downey Sr., who I've often mm-hmm. found to be a fascinating... That would be Robert Downey Jr.'s father, obviously, for people who might not know. Uh, really terrific, crazy, crazy British avant-garde filmmaker who, you know, uh, turned his son on to booze and pot at the age of eight. Uh, so I'm sure that that's covered in, in the movie as well. Um, but I've always found him to be fascinating, a great artist and a really interesting dude, and I can't wait to see that. That's going to be on Thursday the 20th, I, I believe, is when they're showing that, um, I think. No. Uh, well, they're show- it's, it, it's at some point they're showing Senior, and that's a documentary about Robert uh, Downey Sr. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I'm really, really looking forward to that one. I think I know why, because hmm. I find him fascinating. So there you go. <laughs> uh, for all the information that you want to get, the festival tickets and all that kind of stuff, just go to chicagofilmfestival.com. Um, and it runs through the 23rd and uh, scroll down. They've got a ton of movies. There's events every night. They've got animated films. They've got shorts. They've got parties and events. And, you know, as we, as we mentioned before, there's going to be celebrities and directors and filmmakers and actors and actresses coming in from out of town for uh, the big event as well. So it's the 58th annual, annual Chicago International Film Festival. Um, and chicagofilmfestival.com is the website where you can get all the info. Okay. Uh, one of the movies that is playing at the Chicago Film Festival, in fact, it will play Wednesday the 19th uh, at 8.15 at the River East, is the latest from Martin McDonough. Martin McDonough, who is the credible playwright-turned-screenwriter-turned-film-director, uh, whose work I love, uh, whose last big movie was Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, and he's written and directed a bunch of other stuff, including a movie that's tied in with this one in some regard, I guess, called In Bruges. Uh, and the movie we're going to be talking about right now is called The Banshees of uh, Inisherin. Um, and uh, Eric, why don't you tell us about The Banshees of <laughs> Inisherin? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, the film, uh, I guess, is set in the, the early 1920s, from, from what, I've under, what I understand. Uh, set in Ireland and... Uh, Colin yeah, Farrell 1923, plays... 1923. 1923, okay, there you go. Yeah. Um, Colin Farrell plays a man named uh, Pedrak, who uh, every, every day uh, at, at 2 o'clock, uh, like clockwork, uh, he goes over to his friend uh, Combs' uh, home and uh, walks with them over to the local pub, and they drink and talk and just you know do the things that friends do. Uh, but uh, as the film opens, uh, he makes that trek over to his home, and he sees Combs just sitting alone in his house, smoking, not answering the door, not you know, acknowledging him at all, and uh, this you know throws him a little bit. Uh, then later, when he goes back uh, and does eventually do have a, does does have a conversation with Comb, uh, or Brennan Gleeson, if I didn't mention him uh, already, uh, Comb tells him that uh, he no longer wants to be friends with him. Just out of the blue, just decides he, uh, for the reasoning that he finds uh, his ex friend very dull. And believes that all the time that he spent uh, in the pub with him, that he could actually be doing more, better, better, much better things with his life and his time. Uh, needless to say, that Patriarch just is just kind of thrown by this entire thing. He talks it over with his sister Shaban, played by Carrie Condon, um, and there's another young man uh, on the outskirts of the island there, uh, play, uh, named Dominic, played by Vera Keegan. Uh, who is the abused son of a local uh, policeman. Uh, and he's just looking for some friendship and some companionship uh, himself. Uh, but the longer the Patriot keeps going back to Calm and just will not leave him alone until he is satisfied with why this uh, turn of events has happened, uh, Comb uh, <laughs> makes a proclamation that if he just does not leave him alone, 
uh, he is going to inflict some self-harm on himself. Uh, and so th this becomes a, a sort of a weird battle of wills that takes place throughout this story. Uh, and it's a, it's a very unusual one that is set against the backdrop of an Irish civil war. And as these sort of these uh, two things are sort of playing out uh, one after another, uh, the film itself basically becomes this really sort of interesting uh, metaphor for just how stupid war and probably very specifically the Irish civil war at that time uh, actually was. Uh, something that people are probably going to want to do some research on uh, after this. But you don't need to know, have that information to really get behind what this film is doing. And uh, Colin Farrell and Brennan Gleeson, who had such a incredible relationship in, in Bruges, which is still one of the great comedies of the last decade and a half, I guess, um, and, and here do not have this, this friendship, but their connection as actors uh, is, just, is, is just indescribable. And the, the two of them are so, so great at now as antagonists, and watching Carol, Colin Farrell go through this movie just aloof, and like, what is wrong with him? He doesn't really question so much what is wrong with himself, what, but what is wrong with his friend? Why is he being like this to him? What could he possibly have done to do this? And it, it just you, you want to tell him to stop, but at the same time, if someone did this to you, you kind of want to have that as well. People just, the way that friendships are examined in this movie in a comical and sometimes horrific way uh, is really something that is you're going to, to walk away with and you're going to maybe start examining some of your own personal friendships as well. Maybe a few that you even want to end as a result of this. Um, and like I said, Farrell and Gleason are just fantastic in this movie. Carrie Condon, every time she shows up to try to offer some a bit a lick of sense to it, uh, is really great. Uh, and Barry Keegan has... Barry Keegan has a line reading in this movie where in a conversation that he's having with Carrie Condon... Uh, and it's, it's a single line, and it, it is one of the funniest and saddest lines at the same time that I've ever heard in a movie. And uh, I, I walked to this, walk away from this movie wanting to see it again, wanting to experience everything that was going on and put this, this journey almost to find some peace with it as well. Because it's like, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's under two hours long, and it moves by so quickly, even though it has a very leisurely pace to it, because there's this so much going on or so much that you want to see happen throughout the story uh, that is really one of the most interesting and challenging films of the year. But at the same time, incredibly funny, very sad at times. Uh, also, again, horrific in, in moments, but uh, but just uh, another really strong work from Martin McDonough. Yeah. Okay. Steve, what do you think, man? Yeah, I, I was incredibly, this is, this is an exceptional film. I'm incredibly moved by it. Um, the it is yeah it is a metaphor for like this Irish civil war that's kind of going on literally in the background of this movie and it's basically just like why why are Irish people fighting Irish some somebody somebody says it in the film like I remember it was so much easier when we just all hated the British like right. that was and and I love that line and that's basically what the story is about it's like why are we why are we fighting with each other and 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 this 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 dissolving relationship is infecting like everyone around it. And it's, it really, really are consequences. And it's kind of fascinating to just watch it take hold and just grow. Um, I got to say though, like 
as as much as great as Pharaoh and Gleason are, um, what Carrie Condon does in this movie yeah. is heartbreaking. And yeah. and I love the path that her story takes. I love where she ends up. Um, and also, I got to say, as much as Barry Kogan has annoyed me at times in the past, he is so goddamn good in this movie. And he, I mean, now I'm beginning to realize through just watching him, even just recently in small roles in like the Batman and, and Eternals, this dude has range. Like yeah. I had no idea. And yeah. he, again, he, there's something like, I think it's a, it's either the implication. It's a, it's the way he behaves and the way he talks is a product that's getting hit in the head too much by his father. But he, yeah, he is incredible here. And, and Eric's right. Like you're, you're kind of annoyed by him for most of the movie. And then he just does this thing in this one scene. You're just like, Oh my God. And you just like grab your heart. And when it, when he does it. So yeah, this, this is a, and it's interesting because it, I don't know if McDonough designed it to be a companion piece to in Bruges, which is a story about this sort of burgeoning friendship. And this like very, this very, this friendship that kind of grows to its fruition by the end. And this is the other end of that. This is the end of a friendship. And and man, and 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 it, it I, there there are just parts of this movie that just genuinely left me shocked. Um, I did not. They were like Brendan. I would lead to say Brendan Gleeson isn't bullshitting when he makes a threat against himself if this guy talks to him again. Uh, and there there are some instances where he throws things at a door that are yeah. kind of terrifying. So yeah. I don't want to say more than that, but. Uh, yeah, this this is like a damn near perfect movie for me. This is to me, this is one of the year's best. Yeah, I'm agree. I, I agree. I think it's phenomenal. I I just I love I, I I love the work that Martin McDonough does. I love it. I've loved him ever since you know uh, back when he was just a playwright before he started making movies. I just think he's an amazing writer, and he just keeps doing gold. I mean, it's just great. Mm-hmm. And again, this is you know as we've been talking about, it's an allegory for this for the Irish Civil War and the Irish fighting amongst themselves and how that spreads throughout this small. Um, small little uh, island and little village, which, by the way, was all built by McDonough and the crew. Like that pub, mm-hmm. McDonough designed mm-hmm. it, and they built it right on the edge. And uh, I, 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 Colin Farrell and uh, and Brendan Gleeson have been making the rounds on on the talk shows, on the late night talk shows. And by the way, if you haven't seen them on the late night talk shows, Google it because <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Um, and they built that pub, uh, and like the, it was, it was in danger of washing away because the ocean waves were right outside. <laughs> and there were times when they thought the, that the whole pub was just going to go. Um, but you really get a feel for this now. Now, uh, uh, Inisharan is not a real place. That's a fictional island. Mm-hmm. It's not real. It was actually uh, the the stuff was actually shot uh, on, on the islands, the northern islands at, at, at Inishmore is where they actually shot it, um, and parts of Galway. So there's no place called this is like a this is a place that was invented by Martin McDonough <laughs> doesn't exist. People are going to be looking for it and going, "Wait a minute, what? In a Sharon, where's that? It's not real." Um but he creates this entire environment and this whole group of 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 people and and how this relationship between Colin Farrell, the destruction of this relationship between Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson as you mentioned, affects everybody and how it spreads throughout the entire uh through the entire uh place. Uh Colin Farrell is beautiful in this movie. It's one of the most wonderful and sort of innocent and kind of dumb 
performances because he's <laughs> he can play. I, I'm I'm a massive fan of Colin Farrell. I think he can play yeah. anything. But a lot of the things that he plays, he usually plays sort of the sexy hunky guy or like the hero a lot of the times. But he's really just kind of a dork in this movie. Um, but a really like, wait, why don't you like me? He doesn't understand. It. He's so sincere in it. <laughs> um, and the scenes between, well, first of all, Carrie Condon is a goddamn revelation in this movie. I mean, I've always liked her. She was in Three Billboards. She's you know worked with worked with McDonough in the past. She's a phenomenal actress. But the shit she does in this movie, you guys, I, it's my favorite performance in the movie. Carrie Conn is my favorite mm-hmm. performance in the movie. And that's saying a lot, considering how great every single. I mean, the priest, the scenes with uh, Brendan Gleeson and the priest are <laughs> amazing. All the pub stuff. The guy who owns the pub and is for all the people in the pub. God, it's just it's just gold. And that relationship, and then what happens between the two of them, and how Colin Farrell's, the arc of Colin Farrell's character, he's a completely different dude by the end of this movie. Um, and that's important. And to see Colin Farrell play that, you know, like really play it, and, and how every character changes, some, some for the good, some for the bad. Um, I love this movie, and, and on the simplest of levels, it's hilarious. I mean, it's so <laughs> laugh-out-loud funny. Beautifully acted, beautifully written. It's about more than just friendships ending, um, and uh, and it goes way beyond that. I love this movie, and I love Martin McDonough. I think it's one of the best movies of the year, too. And if you want to see it at the film festival, um, it is Wednesday the 19th at River East at 8.15. Uh, and it gets a general release on the 21st, October 21st. So um, make sure you see it. It's one of the, it's, I think it's one of the very best movies of the year. I think we all agree on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right, that starts off good. Okay, well, now we got to move on. Um, Steve, tell us about Tar. I'll speak another one we can add to that list. Actually, yeah, um, okay, you can. <laughs> so this is this is from writer director Todd Field, who's as a direct. He's, he's I mean he's an actor as well. I don't think he's acted in a while, but he made uh, his debut film was in the bedroom, and then he followed that up a few years later with Little Children. So he hasn't really made a movie in like fifteen years. Um, this comes Tar, uh, which is about a groundbreaking conductor. Uh, Lydia Tarr, played by Kate Blanchett, uh, who conducts a major German orchestra. And we meet her kind of at the height of her career. There's actually an opening scene where she's interviewed by a, a New Yorker, a real New, New Yorker writer named Adam Gopnik, who just lists on and on her list of achievements. And I think it's it meant to give us a sense of how much she has to lose when things start to unravel later in the film. Um, but anyway, she's she's preparing... Uh, I think a book launch. She's putting out her memoirs and then also a much anticipated live performance of Mahler's fifth symphony, which kind of completes uh, all these Mahler works that she's been doing over the years. But over the, over the weeks after that, about that New Yorker interview, her life starts to unravel uh, after it. Well, I will say in a singularly modern way, but she is accused of, I think it's basically of grooming young musicians that, uh, work with her or play with her into being like sexual partners, which um, it's interesting how we view that differently with a woman being the groomer as opposed to a man. But that's part of what this movie is about is the the sexual politics of all sorts of things. Um, and so the, yeah, the resulting film is like this really fascinating examination of the classical music world, as well as of just power in general and its impact and, uh, on on society today and and on on people today, um, I mean her her backstory is she studied under Bernstein. She's a completely fictional character. We should make sure that's very clear. Although everything that happens to her is very much rooted in the real world. So she in this fictional person studied under Bernstein. He was like a mentor, um, 
and she leaves lives very comfortably in Berlin. I think it is with her uh, her partner and her first violinist, played by Nina Haas, who's a, a terrific uh, German actress. Um, there's a there's a there's a scene. There's like a, a bunch of just great scenes, but the scene that I think a lot of people are talking about is this one where she kind of just completely tears down this student of hers, who I think is supposed to be mixed race. Um, and just, and he doesn't, he basically just blows off all these musicians that are sort of the founding, the building blocks of any musician's classical music training, like Bach and Beethoven, because he thinks they're problematic. And she basically, there's a quote in here where she says, don't be so eager to be offended. And I think that's kind of her message. And that's kind of one of the messages of the film, uh, that kind of comes back to bite her on the ass later. Um, there's a sort of an assistant and aspiring conductor um, played by Naomi Merlant, who is another terrific actor um, who is sort of always watching her, anticipating what she needs. And again, having someone letting someone that close to you comes back to bite her in the ass. There's a, there's basically a version of Salieri from Adam Adeus here played by Mark Strong, who just, admires Lydia tremendously. He's clearly not as good a conductor and composer, and he's just trying to get as much information out of her under the guise of friendship. I was I was completely drawn in by this, primarily because of Kate Blanchett's uh, performance here. Uh, it, she, I just, I, it's so rare we get this deep into someone's head. And then there are these other moments where she hears things. She hears things in her apartment. She hears things when she's going on a jog. She hears someone screaming. And it, it, you're never, I don't think they ever really explain what most of that is. Some of it we do find out what it is. It's from like a neighboring apartment. But a lot of it just feels like her knowing that something is coming for her. And she doesn't quite know what it is. It's very free-floating. Eventually, it happens. We find out it's through these accusations. And her life just spirals uh, when these accusations start becoming more and more public. And I mean, I, you just feel it. There's like tension, there's anxiety. Um, I felt every bit of it. And, and, but you also, there's a sexual politics angle where like, you know, a woman is, uh, you know, full of herself, but a man would be ambitious. It's that kind of, that kind of look at things. And, um, yeah, it, it is. And, and she's not the most likable characters. I don't think she's supposed to be. But at the same time, you do find yourself feeling for her sometimes, except the more these accusations come. I don't know. It's it's a classic case of just finding someone you kind of admire, if not like, and then watching them get torn down and wondering how much you care or how much you're going to stick with them just because they are so talented. Anyway, this this is like a, a complete package for me. And um, and Todd Field keeps a little bit of distance uh, while also kind of just diving in with both hands. So I, I was, I was, I really, really found this a remarkable film. Okay. Eric, what'd you think? Uh, yeah, I have not uh, stopped thinking about this movie since I saw it uh, yesterday or the other day. And uh, I mean, so much of what Steve said is right, but uh, you know, when focusing on the idea of the, of the, of the accusations and this thing that might be coming for, and Steve's actually absolutely right that, these sounds there there's a, a a a thread throughout the movie that suggests that she might be coming uh, undone mentally a little bit there are things that go missing you know is it something that she misplaced or someone is, is someone stalking her i mean there's a whole bunch of elements throughout this film 
that puts you in the mindset of this character, not always in a, in a like a horrific, you know, repulsion kind of way, but in, in just little things that are happening throughout the story that put you inside of her head. And I think that's one of the sort of the grander things that I think Todd Field pulls off because the accusation stuff, there are hints of it throughout the movie, but it's not really a plot th thread that really sort of takes hold until I, really mostly the second half. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that the the early stuff in setting up these really long scenes, this interview that goes on in the opening of the movie, that's like the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie almost, uh, this scene where uh, Steve references where she takes down this student of, who is just offended uh, that comes back later in the story uh, is really sort of getting you into who this woman is, who this character is, and, uh, and, and getting you into a place though. So when the accusations begin... Not so much that you're on her side or you think that she's a, a great person or anything, but you start to question that I, the idea of what she's being accused of. Is this woman that we keep hearing about what was she a stalker? Is it a, you know a, a affair that went bad? You know what precisely is the deal with it? And I think what Field is doing by putting us inside her psyche is giving us the idea that care, people who do things like this. Uh, don't think that they've done anything wrong. And I think that's a real sort of important distinction as the film goes on, because like even as you know things really do start to unravel, we're even still sort of questioning if there is something, if, if she really did something really horrific, or is it like what happened with this guy early on, and that he was just so offended by something that it just... It's it just it's her time and her and it, and it's coming for her now, and uh, I mean Kate Blanchett I mean please uh, she's she's <laughs> just a, a stunning presence and just everything she does in this movie draws you in. There's 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 a mystery element involved to it. There's a real respect um, and and disrespect for classical music and the stuff that she does and everything that's leading up to the the sort of this you know 15 minutes of almost almost montage throughout the, the back portion of this movie, it ends on a final shot that I cannot get out of my head. I, for what it represents, what the, the journey that ultimately leads her up to this moment is so fitting, devastating, uh, and, and again, what it sort of represents with her and the you know who she is and, and, and within the culture, I think is a real fascinating statement. On everything that's been that has been going on uh, for the last several years. So yeah, Tar. I I think it's a film that I cannot wait to see again, and I think is one of the best films of the year as well. Okay, I hated it. I hated every frame of it. Um, I think it's one of the worst movies of the year. I think it's pompous. It's pretentious. Um, the message is uh, simple. Uh, it's it, it is pounded into your head for two hours and thirty eight minutes. Uh, there is nothing complex about this movie. It is simple on every single level. Um, Kate Blanchett gives, uh, you know, a, a, as good a performance as she can with the pompous, pretentious, fucking annoying material that is thrust upon us for two hours and 38 minutes. Um, and it is basically, you want to spend two hours and 40 minutes with an asshole, with a pompous asshole? Be my guest. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if all this stuff that's coming to get her and uh, all, all the portentous stuff and, and all the things that are happening to it, couldn't care less, saw it coming, could not possibly care less about anything this woman went through, what the movie was trying to say. 
Um, and it's directed in a way... Todd Field, by the way, wants to let everybody know, you know, there was this time I was in this Stanley Kubrick movie, I acted in it, and now I'm going to, like, all of my movies are going to be uh, about letting everybody know that I was in Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, this movie, it, it, it apes every possible Stanley Kubrick style element from the way it's shot to the unbelievably pompous 10-minute long one-take scene where she takes down the student and and then later it's it's brought back so that he can show everybody that hey you know remember that I didn't have any edits in that scene look what happens with edits and it's it's a, it's a complete callback to look how good of a, a student of Kubrick I was um, this is a movie made by an unbelievably limitedly talented pompous pretentious ass director who thinks he's got something very profound to say, and he doesn't. He's got, luckily, one of the best actresses on the planet to at least make it, it, it watchable. I was, this movie made me angry. I just sat there and just kept getting more and more pissed off. I didn't care about her. Um, you know, Todd Field is like, look at me. I'm an auteur. Look at me. I am the great auteur. Uh, the supporting characters, the Mark Strong character, the old man character, they're all stereotypes. And I, you know, as, as much name dropping as you want to do, as much pieces of beautiful music that you want to use in the movie, um, as much historical research that you've done to throw into your screenplay to let everybody know that you know classical music and the history of classical music is not enough to, to strip away the unbelievable amount of pretension that seeps through every fucking frame of this movie. It drove me nuts, and I hated it, and I didn't care about anything, and the final shot was like, oh, I mean, I just didn't care. The final shot was like, okay, of course, this is how it's going to end, and I've been waiting for two hours and 38 minutes for this final shot to happen. It finally happened. Thank God I can leave the theater now. I hated this movie, um, and Todd Field, I mean, I, look, I thought, I thought um, – in the Bedroom was good, massively overrated. Little Children, I thought, was, was okay, massively overrated. This, way beyond. It's like, okay, look, uh, again, dude, I know. I know that you probably learned a lot on the set of Eyes Wide Shut. Congratulations on making a two-hour and 38-minute movie where uh, all, of your st- all of your stylistic and storytelling choices are, were made by a guy who died back in 1999. So congratulations on that. I hated this movie, and I know... I am the only one on the planet, and that everybody on Earth loves it, and I don't care. I hated this movie. So, anyway, uh, <laughs> that's how I felt about it. Anyway. You okay there? That is the sound of stunned silence. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, <laughs> not, I'm, not, I'm, not that I'm surprised, but. <laughs> no, I mean, it just it made me fucking nuts. And, uh, you know, and I think Todd Field should write a check to the Kubrick Foundation right now. Um, so, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, the only one that's ever borrowed from another director. I give yeah, you that. But, yeah, well, no, other people, and you know what? And when they do it so blatantly and 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 without any of their own talent, I call them out on that too. Anytime anybody does that, and he does it here, he's not above it. Just because you know he hasn't made a movie in sixteen years, and the last two movies he made, everybody loved. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna ape another director who's nine thousand times better than you, and obviously do it, like Jesus Christ, to the point where it's like. 45 minutes into the movie, I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude. Okay, congratulations on working with Kubrick. Everybody knows it. Now, make, can you make a movie that's not a ripoff? So, anyway, hated it. Every fucking, every frame of it. So, anyway. Uh, all right, let's move on. To, oh, God. Let's move on to the next movie, which is uh, Triangle of Sadness, um, <laughs> which won the Palm d'Or, which I just am astonished by on many levels. 
Uh, that Are one. you? Yeah, I am, really? actually. I am. Um, and Eric, tell us about uh, okay. Triangle of Sadness, if you if you dare. Oh, okay. Uh, well, this is uh, the new film from uh, writer-director Ruben Oslin, uh, who uh, took on gender roles and dynamics in the really great Force Majeure many years ago, uh, took on the art world in a film called The Square, uh, most recently, uh, which I think also won the Palme d'Or, won it something did. at Cannes. It did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but in, in Triangle of Sadness, uh, it starts off as a film that seems like it's going to be taking on gender dynamics. Uh, as it, We meet uh, a pair of models, uh, Harris Dickerson, and uh, played by Her Harris Dickerson and Charles B. Dean, uh, who are dating each other. He's a male model, she's a female model. Uh, and uh, we get a very long opening first act that deals with the payment of a check or the non-payment uh, of a check at dinner. Uh, he is very annoyed that she uh, suggested that she would pick up the check, uh, he, she, but she doesn't reach for it. She makes more money than he does being a model and an influencer, so he's a bit annoyed at that. Um, and it leads to a very long argument and conversation that goes from the, the restaurant table up, up to their hotel room. Uh, but then things shift gears again when uh, they are invited uh, to go on this sort of rich person's yacht uh, basically, to as an influencer that she is, to basically be there and just take pictures of everything and her sunning and her bikini and the look at the great food that she's not going to eat. Uh, where and on this yacht, they meet a number of other rich people, sort of nouveau rich, uh, that uh, have made their fortunes in sort of various dubious things uh, throughout society, including one that made his money literally in shit, uh, so as a fertilizer magnet. Uh, and another older couple that is actually specialized in hand grenades. So fun times on the boat. Uh, the captain of the boat, uh, played by Woody Harrelson, who could not even feign interest in being out there and being putting on his captain's hat for these group of people. He'd rather spend his time in his cabin uh, drinking and throwing up as, as often as possible. Uh, but the rich people on board uh, act like rich people and give the, the, the crew, the sort of the upstairs, downstairs crew, uh, a hard time, uh, including, you know, why are, not the, why are the sails not washed, even though the boat doesn't have any sails? Uh, and other conversations that they have. Uh, but then uh, things take another turn later on uh, when uh, members of this yacht end up stranded on an island, uh, ironically with Nick DiGilio, who hates tar, uh, and they're out there uh, having to figure out how to survive and whether or not they're going to be rescued and, as rich people do, are not particularly resourceful. Um, so Oslin, like I said, Force Majeure, I, I think, is uh, an incredible film. Uh, but you know about this married couple that uh, survive a uh, an avalanche on vacation, uh, realize that the the husband may not have helped his family as much as he probably could have in that moment. Uh, that I thought was a pretty pretty complete work. I was not a big fan of the square, which I sort of was on the Tar Island found very very pretentious. Uh, this one, I think, sort of splits the difference. Uh, I think that there are elements of this movie that uh, are, are really a lot of fun to watch. Uh, his target of the sort of nouveau rich is a very simplistic one. Uh, yes, they are really horrific people. Uh, I don't know if he finds great insights in t taking down some of these people the way he does, uh, but some of the conversations are fun. Uh, the, the opening one between the, the, the two models that, to me, was a conversation that went on forever and I felt was not sort of indicative of the way that normal people 
talk to each other about issues like that. It felt like something, you know, that he found in a sort of a dissertation about gender roles and was putting it in the mouths of these people that I found very simplistic and annoying. Uh, things pick up a little bit on the boat. Uh, as the a, a little separate. bit? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, some of the we we get away from from the from this major couple, uh, the, this opening couple, and meet a number of these other people on the boat, and it all this culminates with this really the centerpiece sequence where the 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 food, the, the the big dinner, captain's dinner, goes incredibly bad uh, with seasickness and possibly poisoned food. We're not quite. I don't know if it's ever really. Uh, told exactly what the problem is but everyone's puking and shitting all over this boat that's cap practically capsizing as they do it that's a pretty remarkable sequence i really enjoyed the to me one of the i think this one of the signature scenes of the movie is during this this whole thing where woody harrelson and the fertilizer magnet are trading famous quotes with one another and having to do it by looking them up in the process of trying to make their points about and to me that's a funny op, really funny scene a really funny observation that is also sort of indicative i think of what oslin is doing which is basically looking up famous quotes and shots at the rich and you know putting them into the scene uh i think once they get on the island it is where the movie completely capsizes for me uh i don't think that they except for one scene involving who is the captain now uh, I think the rest of the stuff on the island is not particularly interesting, uh, not as telling as you would hope. I think it ends on the right note, but uh, ultimately I was I was pretty mixed with Triangle of Sadness. Okay. Steve, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I mostly liked it. Um, it I, I actually really liked that opening sequence. I liked that conversation. I did feel like that's a conversation that people who don't quite know their relationship is over very often will fight about something that inconsequential. And I love I love his his the, the guy's uh, insistence that it wasn't about who paid the bill. It was about her saying she would pay it and then not paying it. And he was happy to do it, even though clearly him making less money as a model than her <laughs> made him like just, you know, he wanted her to pay for something every once in a while. Um, and then the, and then the stinger on that is that her credit card bounces, basically. So I, I, I love that. I thought it was very realistic. Uh, I won't say I've ever had that argument, but I've had things in a similar vein before. Um, yeah, the, the, the boat sequence is, is kind of the, the beauty. It's like the crown jewel, the whole thing. I, I mean, it's one of the greatest dinner scenes I'll ever see, uh, I think, ever in films. And then uh, and Woody Harrelson kind of just sitting in the middle of it. Who, who, he's not eating any of the food that's making people sick. He's, he's amazing. <laughs> he's just taking it all in and barely... It's like he barely even realizes it's happening. Um, and yeah, the, I, I, I'm... I'm a little mixed on that final sequence. I don't really, I, I, I was kind of, I wanted to follow that couple all the way through and they kind of don't do that. They, they move, they make the, the, the central characters different in each segment. And as much as I, I really liked what, um, uh, Dolly De Leon is doing as the, the woman who kind of takes over the group, mainly because she can knows how to fish with her hands or, or with very little instrumentation. She just, uh, becomes the de facto person in charge. And uh, so I like, I like her in that sequence. I'm not really sure I got what the rest of that Island stuff was, was about. And I did like the ending. I like that it ends kind of ambiguously. And um, so, yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little mixed on this. I, I said this to Eric before that this is very much a shooting fish in a barrel 
kind of movie. These are the easiest targets I think uh, Oslin's has ever, has ever gone after. But at the same time, these are fish who are asking for it, and so I'm okay. I'm okay with him using that as his target. So yeah. anyway, so it's kind of a mixed bag for me. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit mixed on it too. I I, I too like the opening sequence too, uh, Steve. I thought it was I, I've I, again like you. I've had that kind of <laughs> yeah that kind of thing happen. Uh, and this the second act, the second act is spectacular. If the entire movie had just been that, I would have been the happier. And uh, the stuff between Woody Harrelson and Zlatko Beric, who plays the the fertilizer salesman, that shit is classic. I mean, it's just those two guys sitting at the table while the entire you know, the entire boat is going up for grabs and there's vomit everywhere and there's shit flying everywhere. And it goes on and on and on. They handed out barf bags at the screening I went to. They handed out Triangle of Sadness barf bags. Neon actually made Triangle of Sadness barf bags and handed them out to the, to the crowd that I saw the movie with. And, um, you know, I don't know if anybody used them, but it's perfectly reasonable that they did. Uh, the final uh, act of the movie on the island doesn't work as well, and it's a little simplistic. Um, but I will say this. The, the stuff that this movie is saying about this particular uh, group of people uh, covers a lot of the ground that Tar covers. And uh, it's, you know, uh, and, and I think does it much better and on a much, much less pretentious level. And I, I, I am shocked by this. This is the one thing I'm shocked about is that when did, like, um, do, do we know uh, how Im- important White Lotus has become, how the White Lotus has become <laughs> in terms of the kind of shit that we're satirizing now? Uh, and, you know, again, proof that Mike White, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the greatest, edgiest, uh, most humanistic and great satirists of our time. Uh, and that the White Lotus uh, and this and many other things that are happening right now where they're taken down. And Tar, even Tar, is about taking down the rich um, and on that level and, and, and exposing them for the assholes that they really are. Um, uh, but to me, I just kept thinking this is White Lotus with vomiting. And, 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 and I like White Lotus more. I, like, I think White Lotus is much better, and I can't wait for the second season to start. But I just found it really interesting that this seems to be in the zeitgeist now. It's like, take down the pompous rich assholes. And I can understand that. You know, after what's mm-hmm. been going on in this country for the past uh, bunch of years and around the world, I can understand that that is the target right now. And Tar, that's the target of Tar. It's the target of, of uh, a Triangle of Sadness. And a lot of the people who are writing satires now are trying to knock down the rich and knock down the world that we're living in, whether you, you think you're privileged or whether you think you're woke or whatever it is. All of that is touched upon in this movie to me in a much more intelligent and a much more funny way than a lot of the stuff like Tar um, that's out now. But I, overall, I'm recommending it. I think, the bad, the, like you guys said, the third act just kind of doesn't work, and it's very simple. It's like, how many times have we seen politics, you know, uh, on an island? You know, like, you're, I mean, there's, there have been TV shows about Stranded is about, you know what I mean? It's, it, uh-huh. it's, that Lost is about that, you know? Like, so anytime you have that, you're going to have this, this sort of allegory about power and politics and blah, blah, blah. And what he did in the second act to follow it up with that third act. And it's also like, in terms of just content, it's a real letdown. Because that second act is so insanely over the top that you really have to readjust your... Because there's still, you know, over 40 minutes left of the movie uh, mm-hmm. after the second act ends. And, and at that point, you got to readjust yourself because the, the whole vibe changes, the whole pace changes, the whole tone changes. And it's like, okay clearly we're not going to go back to anything that resembles what happened in the second act of this movie. Uh, and then, and in that regard, it's a little disappointing because you, you've, you've got such height in terms of just what you're being fed as a, as an audience member uh, to then suddenly re- readjusting to what you have to do. Um, I'm still recommending it. I think it, I definitely think it's worth a look, especially I love the first act and I adored the second act. So, and again, 
Uh, I'm fine with with uh, guys like Mike White and, and and this guy taking down the rich. I got no I got no problem with that at all. So anyway, and the and the new um, uh, the new uh, season of White Lotus is in uh, is soon. It's in October, if I'm not October, mistaken. I, right before Halloween. Right before Halloween. So we've got a couple yep. of weeks before the new uh, White Lotus starts. Okay, uh, we mentioned a little bit very very quickly. Um, uh, you and I were at a screening yesterday, Steve, and, and uh, Eric didn't mm-hmm. get to go. And it's an, an, a movie for Apple Plus that's going to get a, a limited theatrical release, but it's showing this Sunday, the 16th at 5.30 at the River East as part of the Chicago International Film Festival. And I really wanted to mention it very quickly because I think we both enjoyed it very much. It's Raymond and Ray. Uh, Steve, very quickly, what's yeah, it yeah. about? It's from Rodrigo. It's newest from Rodrigo Garcia, who did like Nine Lives and then the, the great original run of In Treatment on HBO. It's about these two half-brothers, Raymond, who's played by Ewan McGregor, Ray played by Ethan Hawke they're they grew up with this like horrible father in the shadow of this horrible father being beaten by this horrible father just being generally torn down by this guy but in his will he wants him to come back for his funeral <laughs> dig his grave <laughs> and uh and 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 there are other stipulations along the way that are even weirder than all of that so uh but when they get there they find out they have other half siblings and uh and they also find this woman named lucia who's played by maribel of uh, verdu from itumama tambien and pan's labyrinth and uh and she's she's been taking care of the father for a while and everyone everyone we meet in the film whether it's the father's lawyer or the father's pre uh, like pastor uh who's played by vondi curtis hall uh, or his nurse that was taking care of him in the end played by uh, sophie okanato they all have different, they all know different versions of this guy. And it seems like he might've mellowed as he got older and that these older half brothers kind of took the brunt of it. Um, but it's basically about everyone coming to terms with the way they were raised, the, their father, it just like how their father has rubbed off on them. Um, how they, they kind of have to take stock in the lives that they have led ever since then. Um, Ethan Hawke's sort of a failed musician and Ewan McGregor has a, several failed marriages, including one that failed spectacularly at the hands of his father. That's all I'm going to say about that. But um, yeah, this, this is, is very funny. Um, it's just devastating at times. Um, and yeah, it, this, this, you know, this is practically like an American Martin McDonough movie. Like it's so, yeah. it's yeah, just yeah. so about like where you came from and yeah, now you have to really start thinking now that this it, one thing is done in your life, you have to think about where you're going now. Right, and right. this is like a huge turning point for everybody involved, uh, some more than others. But uh, I, yeah, I, I love this this little movie. I did, too. And, and it's, it, I think it's really interesting that they both open on the same day. That they that Raymond yeah. and Ray and 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 Banshees open on the same day, uh, and uh, you can't say enough about about how great the cast is in this movie. Everybody is great, but but Ethan Hawke and Ewan McGregor are phenomenal mm-hmm. in this movie, and there are a lot of big laughs uh, and and a lot of emotion in it. It earns everything. There are things in this movie that have no right to work, where you go, uh oh, you know what I mean? Like symbolically, <laughs> this is going to happen, and there's a thing that happens involving Ethan Hawke late in the movie where I'm like, oh man, this has a te- this could be really bad and really corny, but it works. Um, I thought it was great. I really did. Yeah. And I, I, I really enjoyed the hell out of it. It's really funny and really touching and a little weird uh, and filled <laughs> with great performances. And again, Ethan Hawke and Ewan McGregor at the top of their game. So if you get a chance, it's playing at the Chicago Film Festival Sunday, um, the 16th um, at 530 at the River East. Uh, and it'll open to the public on the 21st and it'll be on Apple TV. Uh, Eric, you got to let me know what you think when you when you see it. 
Yeah, I'll watch anything with Ethan Hawke in it. At the well, end he's this point. fucking great. He's great. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. So he's probably right. the best thing in it. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's phenomenal. Uh, and it's a really terrific movie all the way around. All right. Uh, when we come back in a couple of weeks, we've got Till. We've got Pray for the Devil. Yeah. <laughs> and Armageddon Time, uh, which is James Gray's new movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so those all come out. So we've uh, got that. Yeah. And uh, in between, hopefully, people will check out some of the stuff at the film festival. Chicago Film Festival. Uh, dot com. All right, guys, always a pleasure, and we'll talk to you next time, okay? Sounds great. Yeah. Cool. Steve Procopi and Eric Childress, two of my favorite people, talking about my favorite things, uh, movies. And speaking of favorite, it's time for Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. That's her theme. That means it's time to talk to Esmeralda, as we do on every episode. It's always a blast. Today is uh, Friday, and here's Esmeralda. Hi, Esmeralda. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm uh, I'm okay. I'm good. Um, good. You got plans for the for for the crazy ass weekend here in the middle of October? Um, the only thing I'm doing is it's very fancy. I am going to a gala. Mm. Or well, it's called a gala. I don't <laughs> think it's really going to be like a gala. <laughs> right, right. Um, I volunteer at a food pantry called Nourishing Hope. Mm-hmm. And they were uh, previously called Lakeview Pantry, but they changed their name because they do service more than Lakeview now. So That makes sense, sure. Um, so and they're I'm, now one, called one Nourishing time. Hope. Nourishing Hope. Is there a website yes. that people can check out? Or? Uh, yeah, you can actually, I believe you can do nourishinghope.com. But if you say you know it as a Lakeview Lake. Pantry, I think if you still, um, let me check. If okay. you do lakeviewpantry.com, <laughs> it still it directs is it, you. Is it org though? Is it .org maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Lakeview, lakeviewpantry.org. Okay. It'll still direct you just because they've they literally changed it a few months ago. Okay. Um, but if you do that, it'll direct you to nourishinghopeshy.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nourishing Hope is now their new name, and uh, they're just having they're having a gala. I've been um, volunteering with them since probably February of 2021. Um, and what do they do? Uh, so they're a food pantry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also do social services. They do essentially everything under the sun, dealing with social services, employment, housing, transportation, uh, health stuff. They also do me- mental uh, wellness services, things like that. But their main thing is the food pantries. And they have two big ones. There's one uh, at Sheridan and Irving Park. And then there's another one in Humboldt Park. And I am I'm specifically at the one at Humble Park. I volunteer there pretty much every Tuesday. Um, it's at like North and Kimball. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm I'm just there doing like intake where I just register people, um, and set them up to then go into what we have is called and because it's Humble Park, so um, uh, 
the name of the market is called El Mercadito, which means the little market in Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you can go in and you can shop, quote unquote. Um, it's like a little market and you go in and you pick what you want, um, which is really great because usually food pantries are just like, here, here's a bag of stuff. Go. Yeah. Um, and this oh, is different. Actually, like there's fresh fruit and vegetables. And... Yeah. Fresh yeah. fruit and vegetables. Um, frozen meats and like cleaning products, um, you know, um, hygiene products. Like there's just like a bunch of stuff. And so I started uh, because of the pandemic and everything. I started volunteering there and I've kept it going uh, nice. since. So I was invited to their gala. Oh, very <laughs> That's nice. happening on Friday. Oh, uh, but so yeah. tonight. So tonight. Yes. But also, not that we're taping this on a Thursday. Right. It's, uh, but, it's tonight. Yeah, but also in general, you know, if um, if anyone is looking to do some volunteer work, if you want to donate some money, yeah, 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 you know, uh, nourishinghopeshy.org is a great place, and they don't just have the pantries; they have uh, other options where you can deliver food to people. You can pack the food at their warehouse. So if you don't want to talk to people, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you're just like there, just packing food. You're not having to be in front of uh, the population or anything. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you're still helping out. Well, good for you, Esmeralda. That's nice. Yeah. I knew that you were. I I, I know you mentioned it <clears throat> um, in passing um, a few months ago. We talked about it mm -hmm. on the podcast. Uh, but that's cool that you're still doing that. That's awesome. Good for you. You yeah. deserve it. You deserve a gala, Esmeralda. You all do. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And also, you know what? Honestly, if you even and if if you need help, because you know a lot of the people that we actually service are people that just need like a little boost. Yeah. Uh, every now and again. So you know, again, you can go to nourishinghopeshy.org if you are in the city of Chicago and you need a little help with anything. Okay. Very cool. Be it social services, food, all that stuff. Cool. Nourishing Hope Shy, C H I. Nourishing Hope Shy dot org. Nourishing yes. Hope Shy dot org. Well, enjoy your gala tonight, Esmeralda. Are you going to get well, all thank you. gussied up and stuff? You and Kyle? I mean, kind of. Yeah. As much as I know how. <laughs> right. Because right. I'm not going to, like, go get my hair done or anything. Or, oh, like, go man. Go do well, anything wait. fancy. You know what I mean? So, yeah. as much as I. As yeah. much as I can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that sounds great. That's really cool. Nourishinghopeshy.org. Very cool. Yes. Very cool. All right. Um, uh, you know, uh, we have a live podcast coming up, Esmeralda, as you know. Mm-hmm. The live version of the podcast, you, me, on the stage, having fun. Tuesday, November 15th, Zanies and Rosemont. Get your tickets now. They're on sale. 847-813-0484. 847-813-0484. Get those tickets now. Let's jam the place. Be a part of the live podcast. And the website is rosemont.zanies.com. And again, I want to play this very quickly, especially we, we do love uh, what Jason has done here, especially at the end. Hey, everybody going to tell you what's going on November 15th. That's a Tuesday up at Rosemont talking about Zanies. We're going to put on a live show. So I suggest you do some clicking. Get on the website and buy some tickets. I heard his dad's going to close the show. Sexy-ass right. tickets. They're sexy-ass right. tickets. Sexy-ass tickets. You know, 
forget about us. The fact that your dad's going to be there. Big dad, reason to just go. My dad, when I told him, <laughs> when I asked him, I was like, would you come up on stage and do it? Of course, my dad's like, yes. Um, but, like, he's so, mm-hmm. so excited. Like, he's invited, because my parents on Tuesdays go to the senior center for their lunch. And they have a bunch. They have a bunch of senior friends there that they hang out with, and it's really cool. It's a. It's a. I can't remember the name of the the name of the place, but they they go. To, they they all gather together every Tuesday for a lunch at a restaurant, and they get like a. It's a deal for like three bucks to get a whole, you know, the whole full yeah. lunch and all that stuff. Oh, and see, God bless nice. them. I like yeah, that. it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, I mean, you know, my parents are seventy eight and eighty one. They should get two dollar meals. You know what I mean? They deserve right? all senior all senior <laughs> citizens deserve that. And so if they've made a bunch of friends, and I guess a whole there's going to be a whole badass table full of seniors. Uh, oh wow! And, <laughs> yeah. And I told my dad, I was like, "Look, we might drift off, and we might drop a couple of f bombs on stage." If you and, and he's like, "Ah, oh, they don't care about that." But when I ta- when I asked him, I was like, "Would you get up on stage?" So my dad is beside himself because like he's going to be, you know, Zanies is one of the most legendary comedy clubs in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad is going to go up on stage in front of a microphone and tell a couple of jokes at Zany's. So he's beside and, himself. Yeah. And then also in front of his friends. Yeah. In front of the seniors. He can tell, you know, he might do a little crowd work. Too. Hey, I know you, John. How are you, buddy? You forget your, <laughs> did you, did you, uh, let me ask you, did you forget your teeth? You know. Yeah. That's so fun, though. So, I love but, it. Yeah, it'll be great. So my dad's going to be there. We got other surprise guests. We're giving away some really cool things, um, app gift cards and gift gift cards for the greatest restaurant on the planet in Jefferson Park that Gale Street in. Uh, and you and I are going to be up there telling some stories and and having some fun and all kinds of cool stuff. So get your tickets mm-hmm. now. Uh, it's going to be a blast. Uh, Tuesday, November fifteenth. Let's pack the place. Zanies in Rosemont. Uh, so there you go. Um, all right, you know, I mean, as, as we continue with uh, this season. Almost time. The clock is Almost ticking. Almost time. Almost time. Get home. Get killed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we continue with uh, with our uh, with our, 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 our continue with the monthly spooktacular uh, events here. Wait. Sink your teeth into that. Yeah. Mm. Smell my fear. I think my favorite is the one where he's in his coffin. Yeah, and he and he um, essentially poisons himself. Right. I think I, I don't know. I think that's this one. Let me see if this is. Open the coffin. Let me out. Yeah, that's. <laughs> that's, that's fart- like, did you just not think you didn't think it was gonna be that bad? Yeah, like, and it, as soon as it, and he it didn't even wait to reach his nose. Like you know, how normally if you go and then you gotta wait a couple of seconds. Yeah, you know, you know, but this apparently is just as soon as it came out of his butt, he just—I mean, he's enclosed. Open the coffin, let me out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean that that area he's in is there's no right. room. Where's it going? There's nowhere to, for it to go. So I played the theme from the the only Halloween sequel that's good because it's not <laughs> truly a the only it's not truly a Halloween sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Halloween three season of the witch. It is. The only, I mean, I like, I actually like H two O. I'm, I'm a fan of Halloween H two O. But all of the other ones, um, the second one is terrible. Four, five, six, terrible. Uh, the Rob Zombie ones are unmentionable. Uh, and the latest, you know, Halloween reboot in 2018, Halloween Kills, uh, uh, they're all awful. 
Uh, but Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, as you know, Esmeralda, is classic. Oh, yeah. I think I've only seen Halloween 3. Out of the out of and the, the And the original. You're fine, then. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're totally... You've seen the two best. You've seen the only ones that really matter. I, yeah. I'm a, Like I said, I'm a fan of H2O. I like H2O. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, I wait, did... I think I've seen that one. Okay. Where they're in the school? Yes. And it's uh, okay, that's, Josh, that Josh Hartnett, Michelle Williams... Um, LL Cool J, yeah, is in that one. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did. Okay, I did see that one. Yeah, and 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 we hung out with the director of that one. Steve Miner was at uh, Flashback. Nice. Yeah, yeah. But I've yeah, I've never really wanted to see any other than the Halloweens. Well, you saw the three that are good, so you're you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> like I saw those, and it's never been like, oh, I want to watch the whole series. Yeah. Like it's never really. <laughs> well, I saw Halloween ends at the t- at, at the morning of the taping of this. I saw Halloween ends last night. It opens mm-hmm. today. I mean, technically on the mm-hmm. 14th, it opens today. And I have to say, Esmeralda, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I did. But it's still not. Uh... No, it's not. No. <laughs> you... No. I... That's not even a glowing review. No, That's it's just not. A, it's it's like, not like... the worst thing I've seen. <laughs> it doesn't completely suck. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, but it was it actually for a while I was kind of into it, um, and that's because for the most for for a good portion of the movie, it's not a Michael Myers Halloween movie. It's a movie about a kid who is traumatized by an event that turns that may in fact turn him evil because mm-hmm. of pressures socially. What happens to him in his life, his home life, leads him to this, uh, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting take. On it. And and I will say this: Michael Myers only does about less than less than a third of the killing in the movie. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are going to go and go, "What the fuck is this?" You know. It just seemed to me like while watching it, I and I and and again, the guy who directed this movie and directed the all three of the reboots is a guy named David Gordon Green, who in the early two thousands was really one of the great, incredible, kind of brilliant independent filmmakers around. Um, and then, like, he started hanging out with Danny McBride, and the shit just hit the fan after that. Because when you start hanging mm-hmm. out with a with a dickhead like Danny McBride, your work's gonna suffer. Um, but see, he's the director of it, and and for you know, there are chunks of this new movie that have absolutely nothing to do with Laurie Strode or Michael Myers or any of that shit. That's interesting. Um, and so for a while, I was like, wow. And then it just seems like he was making another movie, like a good movie. And then it was like, oh, shit, wait, we got to wrap up this Michael myers Laurie Strode thing. And then the last 15 minutes, it's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> but, and that's when it sucks. But the, I don't think the audience know what to, knew what to make of it. You know what I mean? I just Because the audience, I saw it with a packed house. Yeah, like, well, I mean, like you said, the murders are being outsourced, essentially. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's exactly the way to put it, yeah. And I think some people were like, what? And I was digging it. I was like, okay, this is kind of an interesting angle. Uh, it's definitely not good, you know. I wouldn't go mm-hmm. out of the way and say it's good, but I mean, it's uh, of the three new reboot ones, it's by far the best, by far. Um, but then when they get into the at the end of the movie, the whole like big finale, I'm like, all right, this is horse shit, you know. Like, and and <laughs> but for a while, there's some interesting shit in it. It's a much more interesting original take than either of the other two modern reboots. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it's better than I thought it was going to be. I don't know. But we're going to talk about movies that are scary, but they're not horror movies. Can you think of stuff? Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you can think of? Um, 
uh, that scared you that aren't necessarily or, or, like things when you were a kid or TV shows or movies or things that kind of freaked you out that don't fall into the category of horror? <laughs> were you ever like, were there things that kind of freaked you out? Like you were like, why are you frightened of that? Like, where, did did certain like maybe children's toys ever freak you out? Did you ever have like like ventriloquist dummies? Do they freak you out? Um, not really. Mm-hmm. I think as I've grown older, and because of watching and seeing certain horror movies, dolls are a little yeah. frightening. Like when you see them in mass, <laughs> like when when people yeah. have like a lot of dolls. Yeah. Um, and then usually. They don't have, they'll have um, like weird looking dolls. Well, like a lot of you, older dolls, like oh yeah, 1920s yeah. and whatever, 18, whatever dolls. Like those things are frightening. Well, have you, you, it, you know, you know what pops into my head is the, is the, is the uh, Geico commercial where they go up to the attic. You oh yeah. 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 <laughs> That's where, where the Geico, uh, uh, Gecko is like, I'm leaving, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Because of the weird little dolls, yeah, dolls are freaking yeah. people out. Oh, they have all those mannequin, like mannequin heads, yeah, just mannequin around heads in that and... commercial. Remember, mm-hmm. we talked about a few months back or a few episodes back. We talked about uh, mannequin heads being washed up on a shore. Remember? Yes. Yeah. And and we looked at pictures of them, mm-hmm. and they were terrifying. Yeah, they were terrifying because you don't know. It's like, why are people doing that? Yeah. Why are they just dumping yeah. mannequin bodies? Well, there are movies that aren't horror movies that are kind of scary, you know? Like, I just saw mm-hmm. a slasher movie last night called Sick, uh, which actually should be called Suck. Uh, see, see what I did there? Because I'm clever. But, um, see what, hold job. on. I can, I, can, I can do that. See? Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, and the, the gimmick is it's a slasher movie. It's, it's two women who are alone in a cabin in the middle of, like, nowhere by a lake, and uh, uh, they get terrorized. But the gimmick mm-hmm. is that it takes place in April of 2020 at the height of COVID and that they are um, uh, a quarantining there. Mm-hmm. And then they throw in COVID references. So like at the beginning of the movie, the first scene in the movie takes place in a grocery store. Everybody's wearing masks. They're all six feet apart. They bring home their groceries and they wipe them down with, uh, you know, bleach, you know, the, the handy wipes or whatever those things called. The, yeah. You know what like I'm talking about. Wipes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, wipes. wipes. Uh, handy wipes are not, that's not what I'm, that's not, handy wipes are different. They're a different thing. But, uh, but you know what I'm talking about, the, 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 the wipes, the bleach wipes. So yeah. basically it's like, okay, they establish it. It's, it's early 2020. Pandemic is at its height. Everybody is being quarantined. And the opening scene of the movie, they're grocery shopping, blah, blah, blah. People are wiping down. And then it just becomes a basic slasher movie until around the last 15 minutes when they bring back the COVID gimmick. Mm-hmm. But overall, it's a really shitty, dumb slasher movie. They tried to make it distinctive by making it COVID. And now COVID is scary already, but it's not, it's like, you know, it's not a horror thing, but you know, like to make a movie that touches on COVID, that's scary, you know, um, although it doesn't really fall under the category of, of scary, but you could make it, I think you could make a legitimately creepy movie about, about COVID obviously, cause it's a scary thing. Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, what's that movie uh, where Gwyneth Paltrow dies? Conge- uh, con- uh, contagion. Yeah. yeah, I mean that seems very. It seems very co- like a that's like a oh, listen ten times. Have you have you wa- than COVID? Have you uh, watched it? Have you watched it? Have you ever seen it? I've seen it. Yeah. 
did you see it after when COVID started? Like after we after no. COVID became part of our oh man, because it's because no. I saw it before. I mean, it, it came out <laughs> it came out years ago. It came out like in two thousand thirteen or something, two thousand fourteen or something yeah. like that. And so years before COVID hit, and then I've watched it since COVID, and it's fucking terrifying to watch now. You watch it, and you go, oh my god, because it's what it what how it parallels what really happened is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And and I remember because you know as you know Esmeralda, I was working at the car wash when COVID hit, and I was on the air every night. Tom and I were going down to the station and doing the show. And you want to talk about wiping stuff down and spraying they bleach everywhere all over the radio station. <laughs> we would spray down yeah. the microphones and cha- you know uh, the windscreens would be different. We'd each have our own windscreen, which I mean you should anyway. Um, uh, yeah. But like we would wipe Ugh. everything down and wear a mask going in and all that stuff. And it was scary, man. It was scary coming into work and nobody was on the streets. It was really weird. It was very Omega Man like. Um, yeah. Um, but like during that that whole time, uh, you know, we would talk about it and and it was it was you know, it was scary, and we were covering it like every night. And so to 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 see it being used in a movie is kind of like yeah, hey, it's a slasher movie, but. Eh. But we were talking about on the air, what are people watching? Because you couldn't go to movie theaters. Everything was closed. So people started, the whole streaming thing took off um, big time because of COVID, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and obviously, I know, a lot of, I know a, lot of, uh, a lot of people suddenly enjoyed watching a show about chess because of COVID. <laughs> because that show would not have gotten the rate, like the Queen's Gambit. God bless yeah. you know, Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy, who I adore. Uh, but she would not be the name she is now, were it not for COVID. I mean, quite frankly, you know, because <laughs> everybody watched Queen's Gambit because <laughs> they were inside. But I did a, I did like a poll about what people were watching mm-hmm. um, at the height of it, like in February, March, April of of 2020. People were watching shit like Contagion. They were wa- they were diving deep into that. Now, if something horrible is happening, Esmeralda. Would you watch like like you wouldn't watch Contagion during the height of the pandemic? Would you? No, I don't need to. It's happening in front of us. Like, right? Nah, I'm good. It's weird because (laughs) I was talking about this um, on Cochran Show, and by the way, I'm on Steve Cochran Show uh, every other Friday regularly as the film critic on WLS AM 890. Um, And we and 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 Steve has always been fascinated why because he 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 thinks I'm a normal person. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, but he's always like, "What is it with you in horror movies? Why you seem like a normal person? You seem..." In a... <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I don't. I mean, I just love them, and and I've always loved them." And he was wondering why people watch them at certain times, and I was trying to tell mm-hmm. him that, like, during it's weird because during stressful times in the world, people do tend to dive into horror movies. Um, I, when the, when the first Gulf war happened in 19, in, in early 1991, mm-hmm. the very, the first Gulf war, um, uh, 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 the biggest movie, the weekend that the Gulf war started, the movie that went through the roof and was number one for weeks was silence of the lambs. And oh, wow. People were going in droves to see it. And, and then, and then, but then there are the opposite of like you Esmeralda, you don't want to watch that kind of shit. You want to get away from it. So the the other movie that was really busting through uh, the box office at that time was the original Home Alone. So uh, you had those were the two extremes. You had people who were diving into the horror, mm-hmm. you know, to embrace it and seeing Silence of the Lambs, and people who wanted to get the fuck out of it, away from it, and they were going to see Home Alone. And those are the two although, ways people deal with it. Although the Silence of the Lambs was very, I. Th- I mean, it seems 
pretty far away from what was happening in the world. It, yes, but it, but you know, I, I think a lot of people. I, my, my, I think the point is that is is that you still because it's a traumatic movie, uh, mm-hmm. Silence of the Lambs. It's, I mean, a lot of people find it really traumatic and 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 really scary, um, and a lot of people you would think would go, no, nah, I don't want to watch that right now because it's scary. You know, like you were saying, like it's scary enough in the real world. I don't need to see a, a, a movie about a guy, you know, a guy, a cannibal. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. want to see that shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would rather watch Joe Pesci get a flamethrower on his, or a torch, you know, have his head be torched by, by a little kid. That I would rather watch, which I think is more horrifying than, I personally think it's more horrifying than Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> That's just me. <laughs> um, but it's not interesting, but people sometimes like to dive headfirst into it. And it was weird when I would talk to people on the air during the during the pandemic, uh, and people were watching stuff like uh, they were watching The Last Man on Earth, which was about a disease that wipes out the world. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I Am Legend. People were watching I Am Legend, the Will Smith movie, um, which is you know based on the same story, uh, you know about a, about a virus that ends the world. People were <laughs> people were watching Twenty Eight Days Later, Esmeralda, during that yeah. time, uh, and and I just find it fascinating that that would happen um, because you know when scary stuff is happening, uh, some people want to get away from it. So I don't know. But anyway, these movies that are on this IndieWire uh, article, did you, did, you check it, did you check out the titles? Or were there some on there that you've seen? Yeah, there's a couple that I've seen. So basically the premise here is that you can see stuff in movies that's really, really scary, but it doesn't fall under the quote-unquote umbrella of horror. And since it's Halloween time, you know, and, you know, and obviously we all know that. Uh, right. <laughs> um, we wanted to talk a little bit about scary stuff and, and variations of it since we've been celebrating a spooktacular month. Um, so which ones pop out for you? Movies that aren't horror movies, but they are scary. Requiem for a Dream. Oh, my God. <laughs> I watched that movie once, and I'm good. I, I still remember it. <laughs> um, That's been emblazoned in my brain. Yeah, I, it yeah. is... I've only seen it once, and that's and you know me, Esmeralda. If, if I like a movie, I'll tend to watch it fifty times a day. I'm I'm like yeah. That. I've only seen Requiem for a Dream one time. Um, yeah, that's all you need. That's all oh you need. God, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't need I, anymore. I, I literally, and I, I'm not making this up. I went to see it. I remember my my uh, my girlfriend at, uh, uh, at the time and I went to see it, and we both were so traumatized by it. Uh, mm-hmm. That we literally staggered out of the theater. I'm not kidding. Like I was like, I was like dry heaving during the last like five minutes of the movie. I was I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that and, yeah. And it was. <laughs> I mean, the whole movie. The whole movie is really oppressive, and it's Darren Aronofsky, and he tends to make. I mean, he made Mother, which is insane. He made mm-hmm. Black Swan. Uh, he made the wrestler. His movies are not known. You know, his movies are not known for their subtlety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and his new movie is called The Whale. This is the one where. Uh, oh all yeah. The, yeah. All the Oscar buzz for Brendan Fraser because he plays like a, a like a, a five hundred pound guy. And again, this is in Aronofsky style. It's like in your. Have you seen Mother with Jennifer Lawrence? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's Darren Aronofsky, yeah. man. Those are the, those are the, and the wrestler's another one. The wrestler fucking destroyed me, and I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, but a Requiem for a Dream is the only Aronofsky movie, and I like all of his movies. I, in fact, mm-hmm. I love, I love his movies. I think they're great. But it's the only one that I've only seen once. You know, even I mean, I've seen Mother like fifty times. <laughs> um, but it, especially the last, the last ten minutes, last fifteen minutes of yeah, uh, it's Requiem. Rough. It's ridiculous. 
All right, how about this one? How about uh, well, the one, the first one that they mentioned is Nightcrawler. Have you seen that with Jake Gyllenhaal? I have. Um, yeah, I could see. I could see it has like scary elements. Um, I wouldn't say it scared me, but I could see it. I could see it creeping it's, people out. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's not it's creepy certainly, and and mm-hmm. Gyllenhaal's really creepy in it. Um, yeah. Uh, for people who don't know. He's like a video journalist in the middle of the night and covers all these weird, horrible things that happen at night. And it was kind of, the movie came out kind of on the cusp of what is now normal. Everybody's got a phone. Everybody, you know what I mean? Now it's, right. it's a regular thing. But when this movie came out, uh, I guess seven, eight years ago, mm-hmm. it was kind of edgy at that time. Like, oh, wow, he's a late night, you know, he, he, you know, he's a journalist at night following all these weird things that happen at night. Now everybody's got a phone and horrible things are on YouTube and all over the internet every five minutes. Yeah. 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 Um, but I guess like he lost a bunch of weight, um, you know, to, to, to do it. He looks yeah, gaunt. He has a, um, yeah. He has a gaunt look about him. Sunken eyes. Yeah. Situation. He's a weird looking dude anyway. Is Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> a weird looking dude though? I mean, you're, a, you're a woman. He, yeah. He really has to, there really has to be a, like, um, a style to him yeah. where he looks attractive. Yeah. But in general, yeah, he's kind of just like weird looking. Yeah, he is. He's a weird, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, th- I think he's, a, I think he's a striking dude. And, and there are times when you look at him and go, damn, you know what I mean? But then other times yeah. you look at him and go, he's like, well, he's Donnie Darko. He's always going to be a fucking weirdo. He's Donnie, Donnie, he's Donnie Darko. Yeah. He's kind of, I think he himself has to like, quote unquote, clean himself up. Yeah. To then be like, oh yeah, good looking yeah. dude. Well, I mean, it's, it's it's something when you see a movie like Zodiac and he's like the sane guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know what I mean? <laughs> you know, and Zodiac. Now that's that falls under the category of horror. That's a really creepy ass movie, but it's supposed to be. But like when he's like the the kind of the voice of reason and the normal looking dude, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, you're in the middle of a really fucked up movie when Jake Gyllenhaal is like, he's like the voice of reason and the nice looking guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, did you see Parasite? I did. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't yeah. say that's scary. <laughs> it's I wouldn't. It, it's it's cre- again. It's creepy though. Um, and I I love the fact that it won Best Picture. Uh, for, it's it's like uh, of of all the recent winners of Best Picture, I'm like, well, that's a pretty ballsy choice for the for the Academy to do that. And it was also like, and that that's the that's the movie that won like <laughs> that's the movie that won like right at the height of the. Uh, uh, I believe at the like the pandemic had just like you know when it won. I think the pandemic had just started. Right. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, pa- I saw it and my I told my uh, dad about. It. I was like, you should see this movie. It's called Parasite. <laughs> He's like, he didn't want to watch it because he thought it was about parasites. I'm like, no, it's not. It's not yeah. literally. There's no parasites. <laughs> right. Literally in it. Well. Um, if he if he might have been confused, like if he said, "Hey, you should watch this movie," because Par- there's a legendary movie from the early '80s that came out in three. Well, no, he just Parasite. He just I said Parasite, and he went, mm, "Nope, don't want to oh, watch that." Oh, right away. Because <laughs> I, I was going to say because like if you recommend Parasite to someone, make sure you say the Oscar-winning film from 2019, because otherwise they might end up with the 3D film from uh, from 1983 mm. uh, called Parasite. Which is about it's about a a monster, a little like slimy ass monster. And you know who's in Parasite? You might want to look this up, Esmeralda. Who's that? It was a 3D movie. I believe Charles Band made it. 3D movie. I saw it when I was in high school when the 3D craze came back. Friday the 13th Part Three and 3D. You know, Jaws 3D. 
1983, there was a real big resurgence in popularity in 3D and, and mostly in horror movies. And so uh, this Parasite was in 3D, but it starred um, Demi Moore. Oh, wow. It was like a, an early Demi Moore movie, uh, I think, if you want to look that up. Parasite. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's in it. Yeah. And, uh, but but when, when, when the other Parasite came out, like the you know, the eventual Oscar winner. I was like, Hey, mm-hmm. people are going to get it confused. And of course I'm the only one that's going to remember the goddamn 3d. <laughs> yeah. Parasite movie. yeah. When you do a search for parasite, the eighties one does not come up. Like you have to put in <laughs> really movie. I I'm shocked. <laughs> the algorithm has not picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, you know, but, but parasites, another one, a non, non horror movie that people get freaked out by. Um, now, what, is there anything else on on here that you've seen on the in the article? Um, I've seen the Machinist. Oh man! And yeah, bless bless him. Yeah, Christian Bale, man. Bless the, Christian Bale and his ability to his method. Yeah, tra- yeah his method acting yeah, and yeah. his whatever to good for him. He <laughs> lost. What did he lose? Fifty two pounds or something like that. Oh. Um, I mean, also like. Wow, the way that he can gain weight, lose weight, yeah, like that's he's, crazy. He's I mean, the, he, one, he did some very extreme things to then to lose the weight. Yeah, but <laughs> he's he's the he's the real deal. Christian Bale's the, he's the shit. You know what I mean? Like he's the deal. He's the, he's the dude. And uh, you know this movie that he's in now that everybody hates, uh, Amsterdam, which I loved. I'm literally, seriously, Esmeralda, I'm the only person on the planet that likes this movie. <laughs> I've been like, I've, I've been going, you know, now that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm back into the rhythm of going to screenings and going to the screening room and movies and stuff like that and seeing all my, you know, colleagues in the, in the film criticism world. I've been like, mm-hmm. been dumped on by everybody when I walk into the screening room. <laughs> oh, it's the guy that like Amsterdam. You know what I mean? Like I'm the only guy. <laughs> um, and Bale's insane in it. He's amazing it's like this weird combination if you ever see it i i have a feeling as well i have a feeling that you would kind of like i think you'd kind of like uh, amsterdam i do i think i just have okay. a hunch that i think i have a hunch that you would you would find things in it that were really amusing i really do i yeah. think you would um oh but, goodness there's an what? article <laughs> that says that uh amsterdam stands to lose nearly 100 million oh, yeah. dollars yeah yeah, yeah 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 oh no oh no a massive bomb i mean a biblical Yikes. proportions yeah 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 and i knew it i knew it right away because when when uh, when when the when the uh the studio pulls it from the film festival circuit they're like nah, oh no nah. oh yeah Yikes. you know ahead of time because like, i mean well first of all David O. Russell made American Hustle. He made Joy. Mm-hmm. He made Silver Linings Playbooks. These are movies that have won Oscars. These are movies that have been yeah. critical darlings that have made a lot of money. And not only that, but like the cast for Amsterdam is unbelievable. Like the cast yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. There's like 15 huge, like critically acclaimed, great, popular actor and actresses in it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they, it was supposed to come out in November, like mid to late November around Thanksgiving, right in time for the end of the year, Oscar consideration, blah, blah, blah. And they went, nah, we're going to release it. We're going to release it at the end of September, beginning of uh, October. And nah, we're not going to show it at or Toronto. We're not going to show it at Venice. We're not going to, you know, none of that. They pulled it. And as soon as that happened, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and then they played it at a couple of festivals and reviews came out. They were all negative. And then... You know, um, everybody hates it. The reviews are terrible, and no one is going to see it. And this is a big movie. Um, so I liked it. 
I mean, I, I saw the trailers. It looked interesting. It's a very strange movie, Esmeralda. It is really mm. strange. Um, and 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 Christian Bale, as we mentioned, you know, uh, he plays um, um, a World War One veteran with scars all over his body. Very weird acting dude, doctor. He's got a glass eye, and he acts like a combination of. Um, uh, 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 Gary Oldman at his at his at his hammiest, mm-hmm. and throw in a little Jerry Lewis. That's what he's doing. <laughs> it's like a okay. combination. It's a combination, right. and I'm all over that shit. I'm, you know what I mean? Like I'm all over it. And yeah, the, yeah. and the performances are crazy. Like I mean, but anyway, it's a crazy movie. But but getting back to just Christian Bale, he's terrific in this movie, and it's it, again a very weird methody. Gary Oldman slash Jerry Lewis performance that yeah. <laughs> is making people uncomfortable. But The Machinist, Jesus Christ. I remember when I first saw that, I'm like, what did he do to himself? My God. Yeah, just him himself. Yeah. Like, not even getting into the movie. Like, him himself is frightening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Uh, now, here's there's a movie on here. It's one of my favorite movies um, of the 2010s, and it's uh, Take Shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is with Michael Shannon. I mean, with, already, if you put Michael Shannon, who, by the way, is in Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, everybody's in Amsterdam. Right, so, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. And he, by the way, does his comedy bits. It's him and Mike Myers, if you can picture that. Oh it's My- Michael oh, Shannon. Oh, yeah, is he, like, he's, um, they is play he like, in stuff? Like, is he in Mike Myers? Is he in, like... Makeup? Yeah. Uh, uh, not really. It's mo- it's v- he's very recognizable. It's not like him and his oh, okay. stupid. I mean, it's but but he is under makeup. He does have some some makeup uh, in it, and he 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 plays a glass eye salesman. <laughs> I, I can't. Even... Okay, sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, also... somebody has who... to supply the glass well, eyes. To... He, he he is a glass eye salesman who also, without people knowing, is also a spy. So that I don't want to. Get... I can't get it so ridiculous. <laughs> but like, it's the if you think of this, Esmeralda, this, this is how weird Amsterdam is. Uh, the comedy duo, the comedy stylings of Michael Shannon and Mike Mike Myers. They're together in every scene. So interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's how weird Amsterdam is. And people and Michael David O. Russell expected people to see this movie. I don't know I don't know how. I don't know. But anyway, Take Shelter is this um terrifying and beautiful movie. One of my favorites. Jeff mm-hmm. Nichols is the director of this movie. Um, and Michael Shannon, um, is a guy who has like a nervous breakdown in pictures, starts having dreams about the end of the world. And this was one of the first movies, uh, uh, that Jessica Chastain was in. It was like oh. one of her first movies. Um, and it's a really powerful movie about nervous breakdowns and anxiety of which I suffer from, <laughs> I suffer from anxiety. And this was a movie, uh, Take Shelter from 2011. Seriously, one of my favorite movies of the past like 20 years. And it's it really is terrifying, but it's not a horror movie. Yeah, but if you're a fan of, and, and I know you you like Michael Shannon, right? Yeah, I like Michael Shannon. You should see Take Shelter. It's um, you know, and he builds a bunker and freaks out his fan. It's just it's awesome because he, he thinks the end. Yeah, he thinks he the plays, end of the world is coming. Yeah. He plays that char- those kind of characters <laughs> fairly well. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> I know, I know, I know Michael from the theater days. You know, he's from Chicago, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I. I used to hang out with him, and I knew him back in the day when he he used to live in his car. He lived on he lived in his car on Broadway. He would sleep out in front of a of a theater on Broadway. And now you know, the thing I love about Michael and is now that, look at him. No, I mean he's he's you know millionaire. He's Oscar nominated, but he keeps coming back 
to do work at Red Orchid, his theater company, which he comes back. I mean, he's doing a show there. He's directing a show. The guy doesn't have to come back. He comes back. That, 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 that theater houses, I don't know, what is it, hold 50, 60 people mm-hmm. maybe? Maybe more? Between 60 and 80 people. He doesn't have to come back and do that. He funds their seasons. He hangs out at uh, you know Old Town Ale House when he's in town because mm-hmm. it's right around the corner. I, that's where I met him. <laughs> oh, that's right. You told me it was you and uh, yeah. Brandon, right? You and Brandon? Yes. Yeah. Tell and then anytime again, Michael Shannon comes out, Colin's always like, oh, you're a drinking buddy. And I'm like, I talked to him <laughs> once. <laughs> uh, but no, you saw him at Old Town uh, Ale House, right? Yes. Yeah. And Brandon proceeded to then tell me to go up to him and ask him to be on our show. <laughs> and I was like, what? God damn it. Come yeah. on, man. <laughs> and yeah, he was uh he was having a good time. He was yeah. having a yeah. good time. Yeah. Uh, he's he's uh he's he's I will say that he's a weird dude. He always has been. Uh but um I I love the guy. I think he's great. And I and I love that like he still gives a shit about storefront theater in Chicago and he doesn't have to. You know what I mean? He doesn't oh. have to. Well, so. you know, he started from there, so he can't exactly. forget his roots. I mean, he he absolutely has not forgotten his roots. There's a lot of people are you know, a lot of people are like that. Um, okay, you got another one before we uh, before we move on. Um, Is there another one that pops I... out at you? Have you ever seen um, Irreversible? Mm-mm. Oh my god. <sighs> um. Yeah. This is this is one that's told. It's a movie that's told in reverse. The story is told in reverse. Okay. And uh, there is an extended rape scene of Monica Bellucci in it. Okay, I've heard of it. Oh my. God. Because of that, like I've heard, oh, that's pretty rough. It is unbelievable. But because the movie is told in reverse, it's by the end, it's really uplifting and beautiful. It's just that you have to sit through some shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that scene is just, I, there were walkouts. Uh, you know, like I, um, the girl, God, it's, it's funny because the girl that I was dating at the time was the same girl that we saw Requiem together. <laughs> oh, Lord. You're just yeah. watching. <laughs> yeah. All uh, the traumatic movies. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And they were both at, we, we saw them both at Landmark. Just Jesus trauma Christ. bonding, you at know. The, at the Landmark Century <laughs> on Clark. That's where we saw both those movies. That it, it was me and that same girl, this girl, Helena. Um, and, uh, yeah, we saw those movies together, and she had to walk out during the irrever- during that scene in Irreversible. She had mm-hmm. to leave. She came back, but uh, but yeah, no, it's it, no. I mean, that's that's that is definitely a horrifying a horrifying thing. So if you've never seen Irreversible, um, so uh, there's more here that we can get to uh, at a different time because we're running out of we're we're uh, running out of time here. Um, hey, you know uh, the next uh, episode as well mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I'm doing uh, for Tuesday, Marnie Sure is going to join us. You remember Marnie? Marnie is from the Takeout, the uh, food, um, the food uh, uh, website that's uh, associated with the Onion. Yeah, yeah. And she writes about food and all kinds of cool stuff. And she's yeah, she's this is the first time I've had her on the podcast. I've been doing the podcast now for almost a year, and I haven't had Marnie on. And she's finally going to come on, and we're going to talk about uh, it, kind of the stuff that you and I love to talk about. She does food stuff, but we're going to talk about. Uh, we're actually going to do a taste test, Esmeralda, and maybe uh, oh. you can grab a bag of this, and we can get your thoughts on it. Um, as well, but Brock's apparently has tailgate candy corn. What What does that mean? It has the <laughs> flavors are the flavors are, uh, I guess, stuff that you would eat at a tailgate party. Oh come on! No, I'm not kidding. It's Brock's tailgate candy corn. 
You know, I still and, have that bag of the, that Thanksgiving candy corn. Yeah, well, we tried that, remember? Uh, on our taste test. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't good, remember? Here's what it says. Uh, here's what she says about it. It's got five flavors. Hot dog, hamburger, ice cream, popcorn, fruit punch. Oh, come on. And they're, I guess they're available. <laughs> and then the other one is, I guess these things are really popular called Smart Sweets. So she's going to uh, talk about that okay. on Monday. And then we're going to talk about... Uh, how somebody went to lunch for Taco Bell and spent $28. So we're going to talk about how fast food has gone <laughs> completely through the roof. Oh, so, Lord. Hot yeah. dog candy corn. Hot dog candy corn. Well, we tried okay. hot dog flavored gum, remember? And all that weird yeah. shit that we tried. So anyway. But Marnie's going to join yeah. us. She writes for the takeout. <laughs> so uh, it, it's always fun to talk to her. It, it, we'll talk about other crazy food stuff and, uh, and all that cool stuff. That's coming yeah. up on, uh, on Tuesday. As well, we'll continue with the scary stuff uh, as usual. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> you know who didn't stop by? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell. And hi, Carrie. Oh, hi, Carrie. Nick's Carrie, show. I'm sorry, hi, Carrie. I'm Carrie I know, Russell, and I, know. I love Nick's show. I love you, too. I'm sorry. Okay. I think I broke my ass. Okay. Um, all right. So we'll do a few more of these, and then, um, the, you know, I, I, so we'll uh, talk a little bit more about the, the scary non, non-horror movies. And uh, other mm-hmm. cool things mm-hmm. and some other Halloween-related uh, cool stuff. Hey, listen, have a great time at your gala. Again, um, oh, well, thank you. nourishinghopeshy.org. Nourishinghopeshy.org. Yes. Cool. And, uh, and, and, and really, thank you for what you guys do there. That's awesome. That's very nice of you to do that. Very thoughtful. Yeah. I'll so let them cool. know. Let them know and, 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 and have, a, have a gala gala. I don't know. Thank, know. thank you. I don't know mm-hmm. what, that, what that means. Mm-hmm. Hey, be a part of the Nick D podcast. Leave your voicemail message at 773-417-6948. Oh, by the way, we got a request. I'm going to do it on Tuesday. Uh, we're getting requests for the um, megaphone message. If you want nice. me to do a megaphone message yeah. for you, let us know. Drop us an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, rate and review us uh, on every platform, radiomisfits.com. Great podcast. Advertise with us if you want. Sales at RadioMisfits.com. And get your tickets now for Zanies and Rosemont, the Nick D Podcast Live, me, Esmeralda, on the stage, my dad telling a joke, all that cool stuff. Tuesday, November 15th, 847-813-0484 or Rosemont.Zanies.com. Get your sexy-ass tickets now, right? They're very sexy tickets. They're very sexy. Very sexy tickets. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, next time here on the Nick D Podcast. The wind is right on